Um, so Isaiah chapter 9, and this is our Christmas service tonight. And I thought this would be a fantastic message to share on Christmas. I'm so excited about this message. I think, um, was it someone was praying during the prayer session that, um, that God would speak to all of us through the message or something? Yeah. And me too, because like, this is a message that we all need to hear, I think. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just something that I, I love. I love this message. And I'm not boasting about me. Hopefully I can deliver it as good as it is. But um, I love this message. So in Isaiah chapter 9, we're looking uh, again at answering the question, who is this king? You all know the answer. It's the, it's the, it's the Sunday school famous answer. Always, what's the answer at Sunday school, anyone? Whenever the Sunday school teacher asks you a question, the answer is Jesus. That's, you just say Jesus and that's it. Everyone's happy. So who is this king? He's Jesus, right? This king we've been talking about, Isaiah's been talking about, God's been talking about through the prophet Isaiah. He's been fulfill, He's been um, uh, prophesying the future of this king that is going to come and rule the nation, rule the nations even. And we've learned some things about this king. We've learned last week, we learned that this king is God with us, Emmanuel. Um, we learned some things about it. We learned that this king is a supernatural ruler, that he's a surprising ruler. He comes from a, remember the first message was a shoot from a stump, a dead looking stump and a shoot came out. When all seems lost, this king will just rise up from nowhere, almost like Bethlehem in a stable. Surprising king. He's a savior king. What are some other things? Anyone remember? Superior king. He's a superior in wisdom, in, in righteousness, in justice. He knows just what to say, just what to do. Now today, we're going to be looking at who, the, who this king is. And the, and the message title for today is the perfect gift. This king is the perfect gift. There's someone in your family that's really hard to buy presents for, isn't there? Usually just one. I think I might be the one in my family. I'm not sure. But I'm happy. Look, if anyone just gets a tin of baked beans, wraps it up pretty, puts a little card on it, puts it under the tree, I'll be happy as punch. Tin of baked beans for Christmas, I don't really care. But I think I might be the person. Um, it's hard to buy presents for some people. Hard to buy gifts. Some of us are really, really talented at gift, gift buying and gift giving, aren't we? Like, she's not in the room, so I can talk about her. My wife. My wife is the supreme, she's the queen of gift giving. She just knows how to give gifts. She loves giving gifts. She loves seeing the look on people's faces when she gives gifts. She gets so excited in our family, I'm saying this right now, that she, if it's your birthday, say for example, my birthday is the 14th of October, I'll get my gifts at least the 13th of October, maybe the 12th, the 11th, the 10th, because she just can't wait to give gifts. She just loves giving gifts. She knows how to give the perfect gift. Um, anyone want to share about a gift that they've been given, maybe by a family relative or um, uh, someone at work, and it was just a weird gift? No, I'll share. I got this silk scarf with cucumbers on it. It was green. Right, And I detest cucumbers. I hate cu anything that a cucumber has touched, I will not eat. Although I might, if it's like, you know, given in love, I'll, you know, I'll eat it. But 
generally speaking, I just won't touch, I don't like cucumbers. But it was a, a scarf given by my, my mum's cousin to, to me for Christmas. And I'm sure he probably, you know, gave it out of his goodness of his heart. But I was about, I think I was about 11 or 12. And it was this silk scarf. And what was, what was I going to do with that? It was weird. But one of the best presents I remember getting was one of those little scale extra um, car race tracks. And it's like you had the car with the little bits of metal underneath it and you stick it on the track on the, on the and, and you have this little trigger and you hold on to the trigger and you're pressing the button and it goes round and round and round and round, round this track. Hours of fun. That's before the Nintendos and everything came out. That was, that was the babysitting tool for my parents, for my brother and I. And we would just have hours and hours of fun with that thing. And we would modify it, modify the cars a little bit so they might go a bit faster and have light and stuff. That was fun. That was pretty much one of the perfect gifts. I don't know if you can remember any perfect gifts. But, uh, you know, who else is good at giving gifts, like perfect gifts? God. He is, he is the father of the heavenly lights, and he gives good gifts to his children. That's what James says. And he's given us the perfect gift, that this king that was coming is the perfect gift. Now, you probably don't realize how perfect he is. So let's have a look at Isaiah chapter 9. First off, there's darkness. In verse 2, it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. God's a good giver of gifts. So what do you think he's going to give to a person who's walking in darkness? What's the best gift to give to somebody in darkness? A torch. Yeah, generally speaking, it's light. Like God's not going to go to those people walking in darkness, hey, you know what? I think they could do with some furniture. Because what's going to happen? Their pinky is going to get dislocated by kicking all the furniture. He's not going to put rocks in the way. He's not going to put anything in the way. He's going to shine a light on something. Now, I don't know if you guys noticed the lights when you walked in. How many lights are there without looking? No. See, no one's noticed the lights. Because the lights aren't important. What's important is what they do. That they shine a light on what's true. Now, whether it's dark or light in this room, what's true is that this room is filled with people and chairs. Now imagine if the sun just went black right now and it was completely dark. What was in this room when it was bright and light like now would be the same even if it was dark. It's true whether it's in dark or light. The difference is light shines on things so you can see where you're going. God sees people living and walking in darkness. Now, obviously, that's a metaphor. But it says that his gift to them, in a sense, is a light. And it's not just any light. What sort of light is it in your Bibles? It's not just kind of like a lamp. It's not. It's a great light. It's massive. It's a great light. It's, it's obvious and it's noticeable. A light has been seen. Then he talks about, in the next part of verse 2, on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Literally, in Hebrew, I love Hebrew, it says, those living in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has dawned. It's reminiscent of, of Psalm 23. 
Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Um, we live, we live in a land where death casts its shadow. Sorry to say it, but every single person in this room will die. That's something that we're, I'm coming to terms with more and more the older I get. The more I see people around me that I love starting to slow down and starting to lose bits and pieces of faculty and bits and pieces of their bodies and death is going to happen. It's sad. We live in a, a planet called Earth where it happens to everybody. We all have that in common. But it says here that on those living in the land of the shadow of death, i.e. everyone, a light has dawned. What do you think of when you hear the word dawn? Morning time. A light has dawned. So there's, some, there's the sun rising, right? Did anyone notice when we sang Hark the Herald Angels Sing, the word sun? Did anyone notice the word sun in there? The sun, did, did you think I spelt it wrong? I didn't spell it wrong. It's a trick. That's out of Malachi, the end of Malachi. He prophesies that the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And it's a prophecy declaring a light rising from darkness. Now, what happens to, to darkness when the sun rises? Yeah, it kind of flees slowly, doesn't it? Because the light overcomes the darkness. Things that you see and three-dimensional things in the planet don't really change so much, but the light shines on that and you can see what's going on. It brings truth to your perception. And here, in the, va in the valley of the shadow of death, so to speak, in those living in the land of the shadow of death, it says a light has dawned. This is a prophecy. It's looking forward to a day where a light will rise with healing in its wings. Now, I've heard some commentators say that the, the wings in, in Malachi's passage, where he talks about healing in its wings, can also be translated as the tassels on the edge of a cloak. And I kind of re was reminded of um, that woman that Jesus healed without meaning to heal her. You know the one in Matthew 5? There's this woman and she's bleeding for 12 years. And she says to herself, if only I can just, what? Touch the hem of his garment. I'll be well. And she does. And power goes out from Jesus and he turns around. Why? Because faith touches him. And when and he always he's attracted to faith. He is attracted. You want Jesus in your life? Start believing in him. He's attracted to faith. And so he turns around and he and he says, Who touched me? And she ends up giving up and saying, It was me, right? And she was healed because of her faith. And in Isaiah here, it tells us, he, he's saying, he's prophesying, it's okay, the darkness is not forever. There's light coming. There's light that is, is great light, and it is rising up. It's coming. It's coming. He's speaking of Jesus. So let's go down to verse 6, because I think that's more the punchline. Verse 6 says, "For to us a child is born. To us, a son 
is given. He's the perfect gift. Jesus is actually the perfect, perfect gift. You know, John 3.16, I think John 3.16 often has been used at Easter time. But I think John 3.16 is, is really more related to Christmas time. What's it say? Anyone know? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's 17. But anyway, verse 16 is like that. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. See, Isaiah says, God says through Isaiah, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. This is theologically correct statement of Jesus Christ. 100% man, 100% God. It's what um, theologians, I know you guys would know this word, hypostatic union. Yeah? You with me? Hypostatic union? It's where, it's where there's two natures in one person unmixed forever. Guess how many people in all of the universe of history have that union? Have a guess. One. <laughs> His name is Jesus. For to us, like to us, a child is born. A man, a child born, like an actual child. that Three-dimensional, cries, poos, wheezes, needs milk, needs growing up, developing. A child born. To us... A son is given. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was God. No, it doesn't, does it? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Capital G, and no word A in front of God. There's some people out there that believe that, you know, it's a small g and a, the letter A in front of it. That's not right. Jesus, before he was Jesus, was God. And he always is God. 100% man, 100% God. Two natures, one person, unmixed forever and ever. Right now, at the right hand of God, there is a human being. That's hard for some Christians to grasp. There is a human being exalted at the right hand of God right now. His name is Jesus beautiful gift what a perfect gift what a wonderful giver we have in god that he gave his one and only son before he could be a child the son had to be given before he could be a child born the son had to be given now i have a fly two natures one person unmixed forever and what else about him do we find about this this child is that the government will be on his shoulders what does that mean it means he is the boss it doesn't say the governments like all of the governments so um you know anthony albanese and uh i don't know who else the other leaders are around the world and they're all on jesus's shoulders that's not how it works it means that no matter what happens 
He is in charge. He is in control. He is sovereign, no matter what happens. This child that was born, this son that was given, is absolute supreme over all things. Just the king. That's who he is, this child, this son. Let's describe him if we can. Isaiah seeks to describe him. In fact, I think God does a very good job through Isaiah. Describing this God. Have a look in your Bibles in verse 6, the second bit of verse 6. He's described as, uh, this is his name, right? It says, and he will be called. We might have the next slide, Josh. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Let's have a look at that to start with. In Handel's Messiah, I know Janelle's been going around doing the tour, doing Handel's Messiah. It's three hours of, of Bible and singing. It's wonderful. And in Handel's Messiah, he translates this as wonderful, as one description, and counselor as another. And that's fine. But I'd like to do it tonight with just the two of them together. It makes more sense to me in repetition because it talks about, I guess, a description word and what he is. And then the next one is a description word and what he is. See what I mean? Mighty, everlasting, peace. So, wonderful counsellor. In the Hebrew, it means a wonder of a counsellor. Peleg eight. And it's not the words that you think. He's a wonderful counsellor. The word wonderful means miracle working God. It's in, um, when God delivered Israel out of Egypt and they went through the Red Sea, Moses sang a song afterwards. And in that song, he talks about how God is mighty. He does a miracle. He's wonderful. His wonders are wonderful. Miracles. Miracle working God. It it talks about how it's a supernatural, supernatural kind of uh, power at work. He's wonderful. He's full of wonder, right? It's not like, oh, that person's wonderful. You know, we say Dale's wonderful sometimes because he's just a great guy. He's wonderful. It's not about that. It's not that kind of wonderful. It's actually full of wonder, like absolutely surprisingly unexpected. Wow, God does that. And he's the counselor like that. He's a wonderful counselor. Now, counselors, by definition, aren't supposed to give advice. I think technically a counselor should, if they're doing their job right, get you to a point where you can give yourself advice and empower you to move on through that situation that you're going through or whatever, all right? Um, in, in this meaning of the word counselor in the Bible here, it actually means to, to be a deciding person, to, to actually give advice, to advise somebody. Like kings would have advisors. And this, this person who was coming, who was going to be the son given, the child born, would actually be able to give words of wisdom and words of knowledge just like that in any situation. It was like this, this one who was coming, this wonderful counselor would be able to maybe, I don't know, let's say, sit by a, a well one day and have a talk to someone and say, you know what, you're right. You have, you, you have had lots of husbands. In fact, the person you're right with now, right now, is not your husband. There's that kind of person. 
a person who could, who could maybe uh, listen to a whole group of men coming and accusing a woman and then just stoop down and draw something in the sand. And able to, he's able to cut the air with a knife, so to speak, bringing wisdom that's just unexpected and supernatural. I wonder who that could be. Mighty, uh, wonder, wonder, wonderful counsellor. Mighty God, mighty God. The emphasis here is on his, on his deity. This child that was to be born, this son that was to be given, would be actually God. Does that just blow your mind? Like when we read about Mary and Joseph having a baby and putting him in the, in the manger, that that's God? That the one crying out right there was the one who spoke out the very first thing to be created, actually put on flesh and became a child. That just blows my mind. I like the other week we had Christmas carols and uh, Naomi did a children's thing. And we heard lots of great answers from the kids about what the meaning of Christmas is. And one of them said, Jesus. And that's what it is. Christmas is about Jesus. Christmas is about this mighty God putting on flesh and being one of us. But the word here in Hebrew for mighty, you love Hebrew, don't you? The word here for Hebrew and mighty is one of my favorite words. I'm not going to try and say it in Hebrew, but what it, I'm going to say it in English. It's warrior. Like it's why it's tough. This is, a, this is not a passive kind of, he's got big muscles and he'll be ready to protect you when... You need him to. This is not that kind of mighty. This is a, he's going to step in and he's going to fight for you. This, this child that was born, this son that was given, is going to fight your battles for you. It's almost like, I don't know, maybe you could use your imaginations here. I'll try to. It's almost like he picks up the sword of a cross and decides to fight a battle that you could not win against sin. And I couldn't win against sin. And he, and he stepped in and he took it upon his shoulders to, to face that giant and to slay that giant on your behalf and my behalf. He's a warrior, a warrior God. He's more than just strong. He fights for us. Everlasting Father is the next one, isn't it? Now, this is interesting. Because you might think, and I've heard this before, there's the Trinity here. Now, you, could, you could probably preach on it. It says he'll be called Wonderful Counselor. Who's the Counselor? The Holy Spirit. Mighty God. Well, he's obviously God. The, the main one God. All right, One God, three persons. So who's the next one? Everlasting Father. That'd be the Heavenly Father. And the Prince of Peace. Who's that? Come on. Yeah. And that's, we could probably preach on that. But this is actually not talking about a trinity. Who's it talking about? A child that was born and a son that was given. These things describe that person, that king. And so when we look at that and go, he's the everlasting father, we like to go, well, I don't like to call Jesus the everlasting father, so I'll make up something else. But this is actually talking about the child that was born, the son that was given. So what does it mean? I'm glad you asked. 
The father is the originator, right? If you father something, you start it off. You originate it, all right? And the idea also is to be a protector, okay? And so Jesus actually started off something. He started off something, which is, I wish I could reword this, but he started off a new race of human being without sounding too weird. Like, because that, you know, a sect out in the back sticks of America could say, we're a new race of human beings. But in a sense, we kind of are. Because you and I have, have one nature. Our nature is a sinful nature without Christ on the throne of our hearts. We can just do whatever we like. And we're led towards sin. But because some of us have faith in Christ to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us and make us new, guess what? He gives us his Holy Spirit to be in us. So we kind of become two natures in one person, unmixed, maybe not, forever. And our bodies will catch up one day. And we're invited into this beautiful communion we're almost invited into the Trinity. I don't want to say that, but we're, we're, in, we're invited into this new race of human being where we can actually be with Christ forever in heaven as a human being, which is God's plan from the beginning of creation. Sin messed it up. That's why Jesus had to put on flesh to become one of us, to deal with what we couldn't deal with and to fight the battle that we couldn't win. And so he started this thing off. He's the originator. I mean, John 1 verse 1 tells us that he's the creator. But have a look. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. I don't know what I, why I've got 16 here, but we'll find out. Colossians. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15 goes a little bit like this. This is speaking of Jesus Christ. He is the image. He's the face. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things, say, say all things, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Did you notice that in verse 18? He's the firstborn from among the dead. He rose people back to life, but they died again. He's the first one human being to come back to life and live forever. And he started that. He originated that. And you and I get to partner in that by what? Believing. Just having faith. Just believing that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He's the, literally, it means he's the father of eternity. He's the originator of eternity. Jesus, the, the, the child born, the son given. What's the next one? 
everlasting father, and then Prince of Peace. This just describes who he is and how he rules. He rules with peace. He brings peace. In fact, he conquers with peace. In Ephesians 2.17, it says that he came and preached peace to those who are near and to those who are far away. It basically means that where he is on the throne, there is peace. Now, does that make sense today? It does if he's on the throne of your heart. There's peace in your heart. You could go through all kinds of strife. In fact, many Christians right now, this time of year, around the world, will go through all kinds of strife. It doesn't look like peace at all. They will be persecuted, attacked, because they worship Jesus and celebrate Christmas. But he is the Prince of Peace. And where he is reigning, there is peace. And one day, there will be complete peace. There'll be a ceasing of war and an unceasing of peace. Did you see that in the, in the Bible? It says, it says, of the increase of his government, in verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So he'll be in charge forever and peace will happen forever. No end to it. Wars ceasing, wholeness to society, shalom peace, blessing and everything. To us, a child is born. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. 100% man, 100% God. Two natures in one person, unmixed forever. What a perfect gift. What a perfect gift. Any wonder when Jesus shares a parable about when, um, when, a repent, when, a, when a sinner repents, the angels rejoice. The angels rejoice because they get to watch someone open their present. At just the right time, God gave the perfect gift to us. I just want to end with a couple of scriptures. Josh, we've got some scriptures up at just the right time. Oh, back, back one, Josh. Galatians 4. Oh, was it? Galatians 4. 4 to 6. Talks about at just the right time. Oh, okay. That's all right. Oh, there it is. No, there it is. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah. Um, Galatians 4, 4 to 5. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Awesome, hey? Next one, Josh. I think it's Romans 5, verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died because he was a person. See, God cannot die, but because he was a person, he died. Next one, John 3, 16. We know this one, don't we? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world 
to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I love giving gifts. I love receiving them probably more than giving them. Sonia loves giving them more than receiving them. But God gave. He had to be given this son, this child. This, this child had to be given. Sorry, the son had to be given before the child could be born. All right. So to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Now, what we need to do and what everyone else needs to do is receive that. Because you and I are born again because of our faith in Christ. But not everyone else is. And so we can be born again if we receive the son that was given. But unless the son that was given was received by others, they can't be born again. And the wonderful gift, the perfect gift at Christmas is that there's still time for everyone to believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that you are a gift-giving God and it brings you so much joy to see sinners repent and believe the good news of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the extent that you went to to give your son, to give your son that he chose to be born as a child, to enter into the creation that you spoke into being. And he lived, he died, he rose again, and he ascended to heaven, he poured out his Holy Spirit, of which we are recipients of that wonderful gift, so that we might be representatives of you in this world. Lord, help us to remember the beautiful gift this Christmas, that you became one of us and dealt with our battles. You still deal with our battles. And you saved us. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Amen. Amen.